Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we're so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another amazing message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. Praise God. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open the two places, Acts chapter 14 and then Galatians chapter 1. We're going to get to Galatians this morning. In our series through the Bible, we're starting out in the book of Galatians. Talked about that last week, but I think today we're going to be able to jump right in. Um, and so just really looking forward to getting this series started today. Um, so we'll be studying the book of Galatians. I want to encourage you if, if during your devotion time throughout the week, if you just maybe spend some time there, read some good commentaries, uh, spend, some, 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 spend some time just reading yourself and preparation and prayer. And, and certainly the Lord will show you things that don't even come out in the message, right? Because that's how God's word is. God, God's word speaks to us. It's a living word. And so it's, it's not just what the pastor says about the scripture. That's one angle. That's, that's one emphasis that we feel like God would, would want to emphasize on this particular moment together. But when you're, when you're alone and you have your Bible and you're reading it, the Holy Spirit will speak something else to you. It'll, still, it'll all be true. It'll still be right. That's the amazing thing about God's word. And so I just want to encourage you to read in the book of Galatians with us over the next few weeks. I want to give you a quick background before we jump in, this, the, book, the letter to the Galatians is the only letter that Paul specifically addresses to a group of churches. Galatia was actually not a city, um, it was actually a region of Asia Minor. And so it included towns like Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And if, if you were with us last week or if you listened to last week's sermon out of the book of Acts, we, we talked about all of those cities, didn't we? Um, and if you remember from last week, we read that Paul went to these places in what we call his first missionary journey. The apostle Paul gets saved. He's a, he's a zealot. He's a Jewish zealot. He's, he believes that he's doing the work of God. And he's opposing Christians, right? He's, he's adamant. He's an intellectual genius in the Jewish law and Jewish tradition. And, and he sees Jesus and these new Christians as as opposing Judaism, as opposing Moses, as standing against Abraham, as, as opposition to the ways of God. And so he's, he's adamant. He's going to stop this thing. He's, in fact, so much so that he's, he's overseeing the persecution of young Christians, new Christians, to the point of death, right? But, but one particular day on his way to persecute Christians, he has an encounter with Jesus, on the road to Damascus, that's what we call the, 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 the road to Damascus experience for Paul. And he's saved. In other words, he comes to the understanding of, wait a minute, I've, I'm wrong. And, and this Jesus is the son of God. And he has this encounter. And, and from there, the apostle Paul begins to grow and learn in his faith until God begins, obviously, to use him to become an apostle. Where, where he's going to then go, as we know, and write three quarters of the New Testament. He's, he's going to be used by God with a, with a quill in his hand to, to write what we now read, the, the inspired scriptures. He's going to be used by God to raise churches, to raise Christians, to oversee the, the, the movement of Christianity that you and I are now a part of, right? And, and so that's, that's the first missionary journey. When you read, for example, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14. We're going to read it in just a moment. We're reading about that, that very initial state of that, like the very beginning of Paul's ministry. And, and, and it's really cool because God chooses the Apostle Paul, who is an intellectual genius in the law. He is a master when it comes to 
when it comes to Old Testament law, when it comes to, when it comes to the ways of, of uh, the Levitical law and the law of Abraham and the, the ways of Abraham, the ways of Moses. He, he knows, but yet God chooses him to speak to Gentiles who know nothing about the law. And he uses Peter, who's a little bit more kind of rough around the edges, if you will, like not nearly as religious. He uses Peter to speak to these religious Jews. And, and how many of you know the ways of God are beyond our ways? Put up, put up on the screen, if you would, really quick, that first missionary journey. We're just gonna, I just want to show you. You probably have it in your Bible. This, this just gives you an idea of, of where we're talking about, okay? When we, when we talk about the book of Galatia, it's, it's the northern or the southern part, rather, of Galatia. But it's also to some churches that were in the northern part. And you see it here. It's a good, it's a good image to give you an idea of who this letter goes to. So what would happen, Paul writes what we're going to be reading in a moment. And it goes to one church and then to another church and they begin to pass it around. And they read it together and they study it together. And, 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 and this, this is important. And, and so what happens is while Paul's doing this, the religious Jews, as we learned last week, it really rubs them the wrong way, right? We saw it like, like it rubbed them so much the wrong way that they take stone Paul outside of the city and stone him, remember? We talked about that last week. Because, because they're now, they're, this, they're still like Paul. They didn't have a Damascus experience. They didn't have an encounter with Christ. And so they're still in the same vein that, that Saul was before he encounters Jesus. They're opposing the church. Uh, let me read this verse in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Just keep that. Yeah, go ahead. We can go to Acts 14. Yeah, go ahead. Acts 14, verses 1 through 3. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the believers, or against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time. Isn't that odd? Like, you, just, you love the scripture? I don't know if you caught that when you're reading it. Like, as you're reading this, just, just, just read slow and pay attention. It's like, so, so it says... Paul and Barnabas and, and his group, they would go to the synagogue, they would preach Jesus. Jews and Gentiles alike are believing God. There's success. There's converts being made. But the unbelieving Jews are still opposing him. These are the people that stoned him and, and, and are opposing him and threatening him. And the next verse says, they, because of that, therefore, that's a bridge word, therefore, because they were opposing them, they stayed there even longer. They don't like I know I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, but don't we need a little bit of that? Church of Jesus Christ in America? We need a little gravel in our gut? Like, yeah, there's gonna be some opposition. Yes, some people are not gonna like you. Yes, it's a difficult season to talk about Jesus and talk about the things of God and talk about marriage being one man, one woman, homosexuality being a sin. It's wrong to have transgender people talking to our children, all that stuff. It's a little, feels a little, ew, it feels a little, oh, I don't know if I can say that. I don't know if I should do that. But come on now, listen, this is your heritage. The heritage is when things get difficult and it's not popular anymore, we just keep doing what we're called to do. Couple with me. Is there anybody? We just keep doing what we're called to do. We're the church. And we don't back away. We're, we're not rude. We're not obnoxious. But we also don't quit. Therefore, they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
maybe if the church would be more bold in their witness for Christ, we would see more supernatural signs and wonders in our midst. Amen? And so this is, this is the atmosphere that, that the church at Galatia begins to just begins to develop because there's determination, there's perseverance, and there's boldness, and converts are made. Remember, Paul told us that's how it works. That's how a church is built. It's, it's through perseverance. It's through dedication. It's dedicated people like you that, that are willing to talk to your loved ones and willing to share the love of God and willing to be bold and, and willing to stand for truth. And in the face of that, God honors that by bringing converts. And so converts are, are, are developing, and Paul recognized we need a church. We need church. It's not, it wouldn't be church exactly the way it is today, but it's gatherings. It's, it's, it's churches throughout those regions or those towns, rather, that, that were on the screen. And what happens is the Christians start to gather, and they start worshiping Jesus together. They start praying. They start breaking bread. They encourage one another, and they start growing in their faith. And that's what church should be. Amen? That's, that is the example of what church is supposed to be. Now, in Acts chapter 15, verse 5, don't turn there, but it tells us that in, that, in the midst of all of this are also Pharisees who believed. Now, these are different than, than the Jews who are opposing the work. These are, these are Jews who are kind of half in and half out. Let me explain why. They're Jews who believe that Jesus is the Savior but they also believe that in order for salvation to be complete, you still have to follow Old Testament law. That these folks are often referred to as legalists or Judaizers. In other words, they're going, okay, okay. They're so, they're so enshrined and in, in, rooted in the Old Testament law that they don't want to let go of that. But yet they do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they come to this conclusion that what happens is we'll just, we'll just, it's obviously Jesus plus the law. We'll just, we'll add G, we, we're Jews. We've been given the revelation of what God desires from us. Think about it. Hundreds and hundreds of years, that's been the way. The, the law of Moses, that's what they've been following. And, and, and now they're like, yes, we believe that, the, that Jesus is the Messiah, but clearly we have to hold on to the law. And so the, the letter to the Galatians is Paul's response. So as you're reading it this week, just understand it. Everything that he's saying is a response to this thought. Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus law in this particular case. Jesus plus, plus Moses. And so the question that you and I have to ask as we go into the book of Galatians is, well, what does this have anything to do with us? Is it even practical anymore? Is it, is it meaningful for us today? And the answer is clearly, very clearly, yes. Be because here's the reality. The same perversion of the gospel that Paul deals with throughout the book of Galatians continues to appear in various forms today. Let me explain this. The same opposition, the same distortion of the gospel. When I use the term gospel, it mean, the, the word gospel means good news. And it is the good news centered around Jesus Christ. It, very, very simplistic. It means this. God's son, the only son of God, came to earth, took on flesh, and was both divine and human at the same time. He shed his blood on the cross for our sins, for the sins of humanity. 
And his blood was the only blood, his sacrifice was the only sacrifice accepted by God the Father, right? He was, he was crucified, he died, but he didn't stay in the grave, he was resurrected three days later, right? Which is the seal or the proof that he was and is the Son of God. And this all literally happened, okay? And, and so the gospel or the good news is because of that work, you can be right with God, you were a sinner because the scripture says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of what Jesus did, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed through the blood of Jesus. That's good news. How many say that's good news? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so, so what's happening is the simplicity of that. That's, it's very, the simplicity of the gospel was, was, being, was being tainted. Legalism teaches that Justification or sanctification depends on a person's own efforts, okay? The word justification, it's a theological term, but it just simply means it's the action of declaring or making righteous in God's sight. So what happens, I'm justified today. I'm just going to use my own life. I'm justified today. The reason I am justified today has nothing to do with my actions, it has nothing to do with what I've done. It has nothing to do with my position as a pastor. None whatsoever. My justification, the fact that I've been made right in the sight of God, it's only because Jesus is in heaven right now saying to the Father, that dude, he's, on my, he's with me. He trusted in what I did. He asked me for forgiveness. He received my sacrifice. I forgave him and I washed him in my blood. He's righteous. And he says that to the Father. The Father says, got it. Check. He's in, my, he's in the book of life. That's what justification is. Legalists teach that, that, that in order to have that justification, there's some work that you have to do as well. Does that make sense? And the problem with legalism is it denies the supremacy and the sufficiency of the cross. And so today, we may not be dealing with Jewish Pharisees telling us that we must be, must be circumcised to be saved. That's what they were doing in Paul's time. We're, we're not dealing with Jewish leaders rising up and saying, no, you still have to follow Levitical dietary laws. We, we don't deal with that. None of us have. None of you have dealt with that. None of us deal with, with Jewish Pharisees telling us to obey the law and ways of Moses. But, but what we do come across today is certain teachings that, that either, either directly or implied begin to tell us that in order to be right with God, we do have to observe certain rules, we do have to follow certain regulations, and we do have to follow certain religious traditions. It, it's, it's still legalism. But, but let, me, let me tell you where it's more insidious than that. Because if you don't think this is practical, I'm telling you it's more practical today than it's ever been Maybe in our, in our history. Legalism is also in this. In, in, in all recent surveys, but Barna is, the, is kind of the head of the survey folks. He's the standard. They're the standard. In a recent Barna survey, it revealed that over half of people who call themselves Christians, who, who refer to themselves as born-again Christians, over half of them believe that good works will get them into heaven. One half of people 
who call themselves born-again Christians believe that their good works will get them into heaven. That, that includes close to half of all adults associated with Pentecostal, mainline Protestant, and evangelical churches. They believe that being or doing good qualifies them for heaven. I'm going to tell you that number skyrockets outside of the church. In, in, in our community, the people that you come in contact with the most that are not associated with the church or do not call themselves Christians, I would venture to say somewhere around 90% of the people believe that, that their thought is, yes, there's a God, and my hope is that when I stand before him, my good deeds will outweigh my bad, and because of that, I'll be let into heaven. I'm here to tell you that's false doctrine, it's legalism, and it will send more people to hell than pornography, drug addiction, sexual immorality, any of it. Do you understand? It's legalism. It's, it's based on the premise that, that I can do something to be justified. I can do something to earn heaven. This, this survey went on, I won't, I won't read it all, but the survey went on to say that among this same group, over 50% believed that God receives worship from every religion. They, over 50% believe that, that God is moved by emotion and intellect and ultimately changes his position. When the scripture says, I am the Lord God and I change not. This, folks, this, don't tell me that we don't need to study the book of Galatians. Don't tell me that we have not had legalism creep into our spirits. It's, it, is, it is rampant among us. In, in fact, it's probably worse today than it was for the apostle Paul. That, that may be a stretch, but I'm just telling you. Based on the over half of people who profess to be born-again Christians? Here, here's, here's what, what one person concluded. Through, he said either, either, either people are they're, they're lying that they're born again, which may be true, or they just don't know what Scripture says. I think that's the, I think that's the issue. I think the reason 50% of people are saying these things is because they don't really know what's in this book. Because many of those same people, a large percentage, well over half said, they believe the word of God or the Bible is the word of God. They do. They believe this is the Bible. They believe it's in the inspired word of God. They just don't know what's in it. They just don't read it. And so if you don't read it, guess what? <laughs> you are fodder. You are, you are prey for whatever the, whatever the new philosophy is of the day. Much of what people are subscribing to today is secular humanism, which is the belief that, that I play a role not only in my salvation, but in the betterment of society as a whole. When, when, when scripture is clear that the only antidote for societal problems is Christ, because society's problem is sin. Come on, somebody, stay with me. And, and so, so we're going to study Galatians. We're going to study Galatians for a while if we need to. Because when they call you and I hear about you answering a survey like that, that's on me. 
At some point, pastors have to read this and say, this is happening on our watch. We'll study the Bible for two hours every week. Come on, don't you feel that way? Like, holy cow, we got we to gotta address this. This is legit. This, this, this is real. All right, go to Galatians chapter 1. That's, that's what's going on, all right? That's, that's what Paul, when he's speaking, that's what he's saying. Chapter 1, verse 6. Listen, listen to what he says. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. I marvel that you are turning away so soon. What would Paul say today to the church? I'm, I'm amazed. I am shocked on what I'm hearing. That you have so easily and so quickly turned away from Christ who called you to a different gospel. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now say I again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. That was, that was an emphasis point in Jewish literature. For, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. After establishing his apostolic authority to speak, it becomes very clear that the apostle Paul loves the new Christians in Galatia. He clearly revealed that, didn't he? That's, when, when we read that passage in the 14th chapter, what we read last week, the fact that he was willing to persevere, the fact that he was willing to go through trial, the fact that he was really willing to be harmed, proved his love for these people. And now here are these people, the people that he loved, the people that he, he's given himself for, the people that he served, and they're now, they're beginning to turn away. They're beginning to be persuaded to add something to the gospel of Christ. He, he has this deep desire. You can, I'm, I, you can just sense it, can't you, when you're reading? You sense it right in the sixth verse. It, he, he has this deep desire to see these Christians become rooted and grounded in Christ and to see them begin to grow in their relationship with him. Folks, that should be our heart's desire today. In, in many cases, pastors and church leaders and churches, they desire to see seats filled, but they don't necessarily desire to see Christians rooted and grounded in Christ. And so I'm here to tell you that that's backward. That's, that's convoluted. That's dangerous. And so this morning, may we collectively agree together as a church to say, no, we want seats filled. Nothing wrong with that. But before the seat, it don't, we don't want seats filled with shallow people who say, who, who half of them say, I believe Jesus and I believe another way. Because what have we accomplished? And in fact, not only have we not accomplished anything, we have failed utterly. We want, a, we want a church full of, we want, we want seats full of people who say, I trust in Christ and Christ alone. 
and I know Christ, and I know his word, and, and, and I'm at different levels. I'm at a very beginning stage, but I know, I know I may not know it, but I, I'm learning, and I'm growing. Then we have others that have come through, and they've grown, and they've learned, right? And there's all different stages of understanding, but collectively, we're saying our eyes are on Christ. We're, we're, we're rooted in Jesus, and, and, and that's what Paul desired, he, he, Paul was not willing to simply sit back and watch while people try to come along and pollute the simplicity of the, of the gospel. You shouldn't either. Let me say that again. Paul was not willing to sit back idly and watch as people are polluted in their understanding of who Christ is and what the scripture says. And as a Christian, you should not be willing to do that either. And, and, and does that mean you might offend someone? Well, it might, but in this case, in this particular situation, offense is better than, than sitting back and doing nothing. Do you understand? That like we're, we, we've come to this like brainwashed place in society that thinks we should never offend someone. Listen to me. There are certain moments where you offend someone. You come and try to do something to my wife, you're going to get offended hard. You're going to get offended hard. You understand what I'm saying? You touch one of my kids, you're going to get offended quick and hard. Come on, you know that's right. Because that's what I was designed to do as a husband, as a father. That's to be a protector. And so, and so there are situations where all of a sudden someone else's feelings are not nearly as important, and in this case, as truth. Because we can't just, if we don't defend truth, Christ alone, grace alone, mercy alone, if we don't defend that, who will? There, there's no one else that will defend it. And, and so Paul was that way. He was just, he was, he was willing. Folks, you can read throughout Galatians, we'll read it, other places. He calls these people doing this dogs. He calls them out. He challenges him. You think I'm in, oh boy, pastor. He challenges him. He's like, you think, I'm, you think I'm tough now when I'm writing a letter? Wait till I show up. That's what he says. Paul says that. They believe he was a little guy, but I bet he was a bad dude. I mean, you take a stoning and a beat down over and over and over. I mean, eventually it's like, you just whip anybody, right? Paul's like, listen, listen, I know you all what you're doing when I'm gone, I'm out, I'm out traveling and I'm out raising up other churches, but I'm coming back. So get this thing fixed before I get there. That's what Paul says. And at some point, church, we got like, to defend the truth. We don't need to be arguing about other points and being defensive there. But when it comes to this, there are just, how many would just say amen to this? There are some non-negotiables. And Christ alone is non-negotiable. Come on, somebody put your hands together. And so, so what we begin to learn quickly is that teaching new Christians, and apparently old ones as well, to live for Christ is as much a part of Christ's commission as winning the lost. Both are imperative. And so we got to make sure as a church we don't swing the pendulum too far one way. We want to reach the lost with, with, with everything we have within us. But we also want to make sure that we're discipling believers. Are you with me? Equally so, with as much fervor and as, with as much devotion. 
We, we, we have to learn and we have to teach who we are in Christ. Right? We, we have to understand the new creation principle, for example. Most Christians don't understand that the Bible says that when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a new creation in Christ. The old things, the old ways are behind you, and now you have a new life in front of you. It's, it's a new creation principle. You're, you're not bound by your DNA. You're not bound by your, by your old life, your old sin, your old ways. You're not bound by that anymore because Christ has set you free. We have to teach this. We have to teach that the same grace that saved us is the same grace that keeps us. Right? You, we, we, we would hopefully in this room agree we were saved by grace. Grace, for, for those of you that don't know, grace is, is this, it's the, it's the undeserved kindness by which salvation is given. It's, it's the undeserved favor and merit of God. And so we weren't looking for Christ. Christ came looking for us. That's grace. And, and that's how we were saved. That's how we came to the place to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. Well, I did that 30 years ago. And so from that moment until this moment, it's grace that has kept me. Does that make sense? It's grace that has kept you. You, you didn't, because some think, well, I get saved and then I took the wheel and I took the bull by the horns and I started learning and I started growing and I started doing this and then I really got centered and I really, I really determined to be a part of a church and I was disciplined. You only did that because of the grace of Christ. You and I wouldn't have done it if, if the grace of God, the principle of grace was not working in us. Let me, let me read it to you. Go, skip now to verse 12. This is what Paul is doing. This is what he's establishing in the church. And he uses his own testimony to establish it. He says... For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. What's he talking about? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about this relationship with the Father. He said, I didn't receive it from man, neither was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. This is amazing. This is Paul's testimony. He's saying this grace, this undeserved kindness came to me. And it was, it was the work of the Holy Spirit because grace is also the Holy Spirit's operational means. It's how the Holy Spirit operates. Grace, grace is a principle, but grace is a force. You have to understand this. It's, it's like grace, I guess the best principle that you could think of today would be grace is like gravity. You don't, really, you don't really see gravity a lot or pay attention, I should say, to gravity, but guess what? Gravity is at work today. Gravity was at work while you were sleeping. Gravity will be at, be at work when you're daydreaming later. You, when you're off doing your thing, gravity's still working. Gravity in your lifetime has never quit working. Grace, the grace of God in the Christian's life is constant. It's not just like seasons of grace. It's a constant principle that, that saves you and keeps you. Somebody should say amen for that. 
We are kept by God's grace. This is what Paul's telling. It, it was grace that saved me. It was grace that transformed my life. It was grace that called me into the ministry. And it's grace that keeps me continuing. It's grace that will keep me into the future. And, and that's Paul's testimony and that's our testimony. And, and through that, may the, Son of Jesus, may the Son of God, Jesus Christ, be revealed. Are you with me? And he's just, he's just laying this principle and he's laying this groundwork because other people are coming along saying, yes, grace. This is how deceptive it was, folks. Deception is never an outright bold-faced lie. Deception is truth mingled with a lie. And what you and I tend to do is we latch on to, to, the, to the truth part and we think, well, this must be good. There's some truth here. No, if there's mixture, it's a problem. Right? It's, it's, you, can't have, you can't have both together. Light and darkness cannot continue in the same direction. And so these men, these people, these teachers would rise up and say, yes, it's grace. But don't forget, you still have to be circumcised if you want to really be saved. Don't forget, you still have to watch. You've got you to follow the Levitical law. Don't forget, you've got to add this to what, right, and all that. And so, and Paul's just rising up and he's just strengthening and saying, no. It's Christ alone. It's not Christ in anything else. It's Christ alone. And, and, and folks, this morning, it's imperative that you get this because it's foundational teaching. It's absolutely foundational teaching. It, it is a vital truth that every... In fact, I will say this to you. You can't properly grow as a Christian until you really get this, until you fully comprehend it and fully understand it. Because, because just like if you start a foundation of a house or a building and it's crooked or it's off, guess what happens? Everything else in the building's off, right? That's why, that's why, that's why the foundation has to be level. If the foundation's not level, the walls won't be level. If the walls aren't level, the drywall won't be level. It'll crack. It'll break. It, come on, somebody. You know, now the trusses won't be right and the shingles and the windows won't close properly. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> when the foundation's not right, Everything else tends to get off whack, and before you realize it, you find yourself in a ditch. And, and that often is the case in the church today when we talk about law and grace. Because, because both of them can be a ditch, by the way. Right? In other words, because Jude goes on and says, there are, now, there are other men that rise up in Jude's day and said they've taken the grace of God and turned it into lasciviousness. In other words, there were other men who rose up in the church and said, yes, it's all grace. And because of that, live however you want. It's a free-for-all. And, and Jude says, they've turned that into like sexual perversion. They, they, are, they are liars equally. So you got to think of Christianity and your walk with Christ as a highway and you're going down the road and there's two very deep ditches on both sides. And if your tires get out of whack, and you're not a hold of the wheel properly, you're going to be pulled into one of the two ditches. And, and God's desire is not for you to live in the ditch. God's desire is you, for you to follow him and for you to grow in, in understanding of the scripture. So, so understanding. Law, is, we, law does not apply to us. We, we're not under the Old Testament law. That's why, really quick, we're going to finish this. Remember when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountaintop. We refer to it as the Mount of Transfiguration. And at that moment, they're given a vision. And they see Elijah. They see Jesus. They see Moses. And Peter's like, wow. 
This is amazing. Let's build an altar here. And God interrupts him. God, a voice from heaven, the scripture says, says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What was the father doing? Peter's like, this is amazing. This is great. There's Elijah, the prophet. That's the fire of God, the judgment of God. There's Moses, the lawgiver. Yeah, then here's Jesus. This is it. This is our religion. And God says, uh-uh. No, 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 no. You don't build an altar to anyone. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's my son. It's Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Savior. Everything is built by him and for him, and everything continues because of him. It's Christ alone. And the Father says that. And that's what Paul's reiterating. That's what Paul's teaching. So the foundation must be right. Keep your finger in Galatians. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. Let's read this. We're going to close in just a moment, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. The Corinthian church was struggling. They weren't struggling with Pharisees trying to, trying to bring in Old Testament legalism. They were struggling with more what I would call mainstream legalism, the things that you and I struggle with. Listen to what, they, listen to what he says. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Hear what was going on in the church, and Paul gets word of it. People were rising up and being like, hey, have you heard, have you heard Apollos' new podcast? He's the bomb. That man is the teacher. I listen to him every day. No, 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 it's not him, it's Paul. Paul's got these reels, man, they're fire. I gotta be careful, I'm gonna make a fool right out of myself on TV. You get the point. And all of a sudden, they're following man, their favorite teacher. No, no, Pastor Doug's got it going on. That's why I go to that church. I don't go to that church to raise my hands to Jesus. I don't go to that church to bless other people. I don't go to that church to be a blessing to the people around me. I go to hear Pastor Doug. And Paul rebukes the church. And he says, shame on you. Shame on you. God forbid that you follow man. Now, do, you, do we have inclinations towards people that we like preaching and styles? Absolutely. But, but, but that's not what he's talking about. It can become unhealthy. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I planted, Paulus watered. It's God that gives the increase. Only God can do it. And so neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters. But God, God, but God, but God, he's the one that deserves the glory. He who plants, he whose waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is already laid, which is... Come on, let's say it again. There's only one foundation, and it is Jesus Christ. There can be no other. The foundation's already built, folks. We don't need any more mason people. We don't need any more people coming along, building up walls and basements and whatever you guys do and all of that. I get it. You're important in real life. But in spiritual life, the foundation's already done. We need carpenters that will build on the foundation. Does that make sense? 
If anyone builds on this foundation, verse 12, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Let me just tell you right now, church, we are in that hour and we are getting ready to go in to a greater hour of fire. And what is being built from the so-called American church is being tested and the surveys reveal it. If anyone's work which he has built endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Man, Paul lays it out very clear, doesn't he? There, there is one firm foundation and it is Christ alone. And from there, we must build. Listen to me as we close. There can be no mixture. Somebody this morning needs to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. There can be no mixture. It's you got to quit being mixed. It's got the mixture's got to stop. A little Jesus, little Moses, little Oprah, little Doctor Phil. Don't work. Mixture creates weakness. Mixture causes the house to fall when the rains come and the floods come and the winds blow. Listen to me. I'm going to make this very real, very practical. I feel, I feel, I feel okay to do this. I'm just going to share from, from I'm going to use an example for me. I like a number of conservative thinkers in our current day. There are some really good Republican-leaning, conservative thinkers that are sharp, that I think have a role to play in society. I, I, I love Jordan Peterson. Don't you dare, don't know what I'm saying. I love Jordan Peterson. I love Joe Rogan. I love the people on PragerU. I love Candace Owen. I listen to them. They are intelligent thinkers debating opposing viewpoints, but they're not Jesus. Listen to me, they're not Jesus. Not even close to Jesus. Not even close to Jesus. And some of you, whether you, you have to, you have to question it because you don't want to hear what I'm telling you, but the reality is, based on your consumption, you have brought them to the same level of Christ himself. I'm not, you know, nobody sets out and says, no, yes. These people are equal with Jesus. No one says that. That's not what deception looks like. But at some point, you've got to check. Why don't you just begin to do some evaluation and ask yourself, how much time are you listening to these people as opposed to listening to the voice of God? How much time are you spending reading these publications and watching these sites as opposed to opening the Bible with just you and Jesus and opening the word of God and reading the word and letting Jesus speak to you through his word. Because that will, will indict you. Not me screaming at you this morning, but that will indict you. And I'm here to tell you, if you are spending more time with good people and good thinkers more than Jesus, you have allowed legalism to creep into your life. 
Because here's why. You say, what are you, boy, he's stretching. No, 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 no. Listen to me. These thinkers, the ones that I'm talking about, and if you're a liberal, God forbid, but if you are, <laughs> listen to me. I'm being, I'm being honest because I, I don't care which you are. I'm going to tell you this. There are liberal thinkers. Same applies. doesn't matter if it's liberal or conservative. Because some of you are convinced, no, no, my thinkers are holy people because they think like me. And some of their theories align with scripture. Therefore, they are holy and good. Do you understand that the Judaizers of, of Galatia's day, they believed Jesus? They didn't come saying, no, Jesus is not the way. Jesus is not the son of God. You must go back to the way. That, those, were the, those were the Jews who were opposing the work of Christ. The people that Paul's addressing in Galatians said, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. But also this. The reason I say it's the same as legalism is because all of this, all of these talking heads, if you allow me to use that phrase, are trying to use human ingenuity and human wisdom to fix a broken society. You know that's what they're doing, right? And they're intelligent and they're sharp, but all the intelligence of man will never compare to the glory and the power and the wonder of Christ the son of the living God who came to earth and who will one day return and right every wrong that's ever been committed. Somebody say amen and put your hands together. I love Jordan Peterson, but he didn't die for me. He didn't save me. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan didn't die for me. He didn't spill his blood on my behalf. He didn't save my children. He didn't heal my marriage. He didn't deliver me from drugs. He didn't bring me out of darkness and set my feet on a solid rock. Only Jesus Christ and Christ alone can do that. Somebody say amen and give God praise in his house. As they come, I want to read this verse of scripture to you, and you know it. But they're coming. I want to read this from Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a man who built his house on the rock. He hears them and he obeys them. That man will be likened unto a man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and built on that house and it did not fall. Why? It was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and it fell, and great was its fall. Listen to me. I'm going to speak to you prophetically for one second. Rains are coming. Rains are coming, winds are blowing, floods of evil are rising, floods of evil are rising, winds of lawlessness and debauchery are blowing, it's only going to get worse, but there is a promise here, if you will keep your eyes on Christ and Christ alone, and if you will build your life on his word and on him. Your promise is, 
no matter how bad it gets, you will stand. Come on, somebody say amen. Let's stand all over the building. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge or you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.